Do you know someone who's determined, who has that tenacity, that mindset of nothing is going to stop me? Or maybe that's you. Today on No Gray Areas, we have a former firefighter captain and social media guru, Ashley. Ashley will talk about what it takes to be mentally and physically strong through the ups and downs of life. Join us now. Ashley, so good to have you on the No Gray Areas podcast. For the audience, we're going to get into your story and how uh, a lot of it is overcoming disappointments, struggles, uh, health issues. And yeah. so there's not anybody in our audience who's not going to be able to connect and resonate with your story. But to get the context, we have to back up a little bit. Sure. Your, your story is you grew up in California. You wanted to be an actress. Mm -hmm. Then you go to school to be a doctor and you end up a firefighter. Yeah. So <laughs> walk us through that. Walk us through that. Sure. So, yes, grew up in Santa Monica, yeah. California, great little beach town, went to Santa Monica High School, just an awesome place to grow up. And yeah. um, Santa Monica High School fostered a lot of uh, well-known actors, let's just say that. So the possibility of being an actor seemed really within reach. It mm -hmm. didn't seem that far yeah. out there. Yeah. And um, I, I acted since, gosh, I think I was eight when I joined the Santa Monica Playhouse. Oh, so you were, okay, this is just part of your growing up. Absolutely. You're, you're in like plays? Theater, yes, theater. theater. Okay. Mm -hmm. I did, okay. I started in theater and I started performing at the Playhouse from the time like eight, eight years yeah. old. At, at 10, I was ushering at the Playhouse on the side so that I yeah. could make a little money. I think we made like $5 a show or yeah. something. You get to get dressed up in costume and host a little birthday party at intermission and hand out cookies and punch. It was yeah. great for a 10-year-old. But uh -huh. um, I was very much into the world of acting. And then through high school, same thing. And So you were, you were pretty serious about this. This yeah. wasn't just like, you know, all of us, I wanted to be a professional athlete, no. right? Which you eventually... <laughs> Kind of like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> no. But you you were actually really working toward this. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. No, there was no doubt in my mind that that is what I was going to do. In okay. fact, one of my closest friends made it really big um, and has been in a lot of things. And you would know him if I said his yeah. name. But um, so growing I up, you're not going to say his I, name. I can't. Yeah. So Ryan Hurst, he was okay. on uh -huh. um, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. He was yeah. Opie. Um, yeah. He's been in a a lot of movies and and growing up you went to school with him mm -hmm, yeah so he's cool. a year ahead of me we were really really good friends in fact i helped him go on his first date with his wife we oh. yeah it was did you a, get a finder's fee unfortunately i did not you no did. <laughs> no but you know he was such an incredible actor and mm -hmm. getting to work with him it was inspiring for me and and it made me believe that i could do it too because yeah. yeah. i knew he would be big. So when did that start shifting then? When did you decide mm. I'm not going to do this? Mm -hmm. And then you went to the next thing. It was really to be a physical therapist or a doctor, right? Right. So getting ready to graduate from high school, I'm looking at the landscape of what what's going to be next. And honestly, the idea that an actor doesn't have an income just did, it terrified me. And yeah. you really have to bet 100% on yourself yeah. every single day to make it. And I had at that point done a handful of auditions for commercials and things and never was getting any traction. And it was like, I mean, this is a scary proposition. So I'm probably going to be what a waitress while I'm waiting to try to be an actress. Yeah. And, yeah. and what does that life really look like? So um, I started to examine what were some of my other strengths? What are the things that I was interested in? And I really liked medicine and science was a strength. So I looked at 
maybe I'll be a physical therapist, yeah. something of that nature, and found ASU. So that's how you ended up in Arizona. And that's Arizona. how I ended okay. up here, yeah. So they had the number one program in the country for exercise science at the time. And off to Arizona, I went with nobody here. I didn't know a soul. You didn't know a single person. No. So this was this was a big move for you then. Big move, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. my entire family's still in California. So you were telling me when we were talking, uh, we were introduced by a mutual friend, that's mm -hmm. how we got connected, but you were telling me too that um, it was your freshman year in college? Yes. Where you discovered a health issue that has really huge ramifications in, would, would you say, the rest of your life? Oh, absolutely. Okay. To this day, yeah. for sure. Share that. Yeah. So being a freshman in the dorms, right, mm -hmm. away from home, it's new eating habits, if you can call them habits, uh, horrendous eating, yeah. right? Um, no sleeping, alcohol, all the things. And I started to have really bad abdominal pain. Um, and I went to the hospital a couple of times and they were like, you're constipated here. Take, yeah. take yeah. some coles. And nothing, it just wasn't going away. It was bad. Was this like almost all the time, like 24 um, seven? It would come and go, go okay. in the beginning. And then it got to the point where it was just unbearable. Went home to visit my parents. My mom took me to her gynecologist who was like, I think you have endometriosis, but we won't know unless we do some surgery. That's the only way to confirm it. Really? So, so you can only figure that out with surgery? Yeah. Now, help our audience mm -hmm. and me understand <laughs> yes. what that is. Sure. So in the uterus, there is an endometrial lining. Yeah. And when a female has a period, usually it sheds and it just kind of yeah. goes away and then it rebuilds, right? So this is where it's kind of moving into endometrium where they move out, sometimes outside of the uterus onto fallopian tubes. They can get on ovaries. I've had some times where it's been in the cul-de-sac of my back and actually was like on a nerve. So that's really, really painful. Oh my painful. goodness, so it's kind of moving into the other It'll parts move. of your body. Mm -hmm. And it can get on other organs. And when it does, it sort of like eats away at it. So it's extremely painful as yeah. you can imagine. And yeah, it would come and go often with the period cycles, but uh, she said, we won't know for sure unless we have surgery. So we scheduled surgery for my sophomore year. It was at Christmas and um, went in and she was like, yeah, it was, it was really, really bad just everywhere. So what does that mean? If you're a freshman in mm -hmm. college, you're 19 years old or somewhere mm -hmm. in there, right? 18. Mm -hmm. What, what does that, when the doctor tells you that, what does that mean for your future? Well, at that point they said, you should have a hysterectomy. You're never going to be able to have children. Um, your uterus is is too destroyed, basically. You've had so much damage. So um, just have a hysterectomy. It'll You'll be done with all these problems. You won't have any pain and move on with your life. Well, at 18, I'm like, yeah. I don't know that I'm ready to give up the idea of having kids. At that point, obviously, I didn't want them yet. Yeah. But when am I, could it's right, okay. am yeah. I going to, yeah. I don't I don't like the word no, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is evident from my life. But yes, yes. I just didn't I wasn't ready to say no. So rather than give up on that, I was like, well, I'll just keep having surgeries, I guess, or figure it out. Um, and when I say I was in pain that first year, I was living on very low dose painkillers. I mean, low, low, low dose because I'm actually really yeah. allergic to them. And living on them like almost all the time. Just it was all do, all yeah, day. Yeah. yeah. No, I couldn't get out of bed. I wasn't making it to class. Like it was bad. I wasn't eating because I was vomiting from the painkillers. But yeah. um, like I said, very low dose. And even that was yeah. just pretty unbearable for me. And then found out post-surgery that I'm actually 
very allergic to all painkillers. So um, no Vicodin, no Percocet, no morphine, none. I can't take any of that. So I just kind of have to muscle through it. Oh, man. Yeah. I suspect that um, you've had other situations in life where you probably wanted some painkillers and you couldn't have them. You can't right. take them at all. No. So I've had six surgeries for endometriosis over the years. And no, I cannot take any painkillers. I can do ibuprofen oh, after post surgery. Well, how was that emotionally too then? Because so you're, that had to be it was awful. kind of a roller coaster for you. And you decided not to get a hysterectomy? Correct. No hysterectomy. Um, did, you and have people, I, did you have people that you really valued as their opinions that disagreed with you with that? Or were, was everybody with you on it? No, I don't know that I was like super openly talking about it. Yeah. And I think I was a little embarrassed. Obviously, my, my parents, my family was really yeah. involved. My mom, um, my first surgery, they gave me shots of it's called Lupron. I don't know if they still do this. I just remember my parents talking about it. My mom was like, this is $500 a month to give her this shot. And the doctor's like, she needs it, right? She's got to have it for a year. And it puts your body in menopause. So I was 19 at that point, having hot flashes to the point in their 50s. Yes, where I'm like, oh God, I'm on the precipice of that. But you know, it's, I was literally, it was so bad. I would have to just pull my clothes off and sit in front of a fan, just pouring sweat, right? Yeah. And emotional roller coasters, all of the stuff at 19. And you can't really explain it to people because they don't get it. And all you want to do is be a normal 19 yeah. year old sophomore yeah. in college, like having fun. Um, so yeah, it messed with my head for sure. And there was a point where I was like, Am I going to make it through college? I'm not really sure. So fast forward a couple years. I'm in pain. You know, I did okay. I had that year of just crazy, weird <laughs> hormones and craziness. Yeah, yeah. And then I was off meds. And in that year, it started to come back. And then, boom, I'm having another surgery again, senior year. Wow. And so you start college with surgery and end college with surgery. Almost, yeah. yeah. And it pushed my graduation back a semester. So I didn't graduate in spring. I graduated the following December. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it was hard. There were classes I had to drop because it was just like, I, I physically can't make it to class. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't going to not graduate. And during that time, I made the decision that I didn't want to be a physical therapist or a doctor, and instead I wanted to pursue firefighting. And that was like toward the end of your college time? Middle. So right around my junior year, I started looking at other options and other things. And, and while I enjoyed the science, um, I realized that being in an office all day was not going to be something that I was really going to enjoy and thrive in, and that maybe this wasn't the right path, and what did I want to do? And... At five, I was in a car accident with my mom and had, long story short, had said to my dad and my grandfather at, at the hospital, like, I'm going to be a fireman when I grow up. And my dad was like, girls can't be firemen, honey. Uh -huh. And uh, he wasn't wrong. It was, you know, early 80s. It was r right when f yeah. females were getting in the in the business. But um, in college, I met a female firefighter yeah. and she said, yeah, I'm, I'm a firefighter. And I was like, girls can't be firefighters. At which point I wanted to pull those words back <laughs> and put them in my mouth. And she was like, uh, yes, they can. And yeah. come do a ride along. And I was hooked. I was like, okay, this is, this is happening for me. So yeah, that was about midway in college. But my parents were like, you will graduate. Okay. You will graduate. And I'm like, okay. okay, well, I'll start testing, but I'll graduate. Was it difficult to get in at that time? So I asked permission oh, yeah. to, 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 
sure. put it in these words yes. before we turn the yeah. mics on. In some ways, you were an early adopter with this, or yeah. you were the first one through the wall in a sense, or one of the first ones through the wall, and a little bit of a woman in a man's world. Yes. At least that's how it was then. Yes. Not saying that's right. Yeah. But that had to be a struggle. Um, I didn't recognize that when I was going through the process of testing. I didn't recognize like, oh, this is going to be harder for you or people are going to judge you more. It was just, this is what I want. So this is what I'm going to go for and nothing's going to stop me and I'm going to do whatever I have to do. I also was a part of a female group um, called Rosie's Ladder. Shout out to Donna Feller for getting that started. But we Is that meet. local? Is that a it, Phoenix? Uh-huh. Okay. It was. So now, um, oh gosh, I don't know the name of the group, but it's morphed into an, a woman's group, basically. Yeah. And, um, and kind of a, like a support? Sort like of. So support? it's to get you physically ready for the job okay. and to go okay. do skills. Yeah. And so there were a handful of um, Phoenix firefighters that were female and they held this every Sunday and you could go down and it was the first time I put a pair of turnouts on or yeah. turned a hydrant. So it didn't seem so foreign. And there were so many kick-ass women in yeah. that group. Yeah. It was so inspiring. So I think maybe part of that being a part of that, didn't I didn't realize that there were so few yeah. involved in the actual fire service. When, when, was, when was the moment where... Or what was one of the situations where you realized, okay, this is this, there's going to be some uphill battles with this? Um, my very first fire, it was two and a half-ish weeks on the job. So, you know, post-academy, on yeah, a truck, yeah, actually so out brand, there doing brand, it, right? Yeah. And um, I was the eighth woman on my department when I got hired. So not a ton of women that had come before me, mm-hmm. but some really incredible women had come before me and definitely paved the path for yeah. my success. Yeah. Um, but we're on, on our first fire and it's the day after Easter. And it's, so it's hot and we had run through three bottles, which for most people doesn't m- mean a lot. But, you know, we've been working hard, probably in 90, 100 degree heat for mm, probably an hour and a half, hour, 20 minutes plus in turnouts. So bottle turnouts, 65 to 80 pounds of gear, yeah. right? Yeah. And we've been working. Yeah. And this is the first time I get to take my gear off and kind of go outside and just get a breather and cool off a little bit. And one of the guys comes up with a hose line and just pummels me head to toe. I look like a drowned rat standing there. And he was like, that's what you get for not introducing yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, Noted. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Noted. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So you did 23 years? 22 plus in my former department. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you retired at what? I retired with 22 to, point but you, whatever and years. And you were like a captain? Captain. Okay. Yes, rank of captain. Okay. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about your, your, your greatest moment and your least favorite moment in those years. So my mentor got cancer and he wasn't being covered for the cancer treatments Mm. through the city and there's presumptive legislation and there's all these things. Right. Um, and I was blessed to be a part of a group called injured worker advocacy program. And that was started by one of the captains in that department at the time. And he said, we're here to help people go through the workman's comp process because people that are going through this are hurt and or sick and home and trying to get better Mm -hmm. and there's timelines and there's legalities and there's paperwork all the things they shouldn't have to think about or worry about they should just be healing and if no one tells you these things you don't know and then you're not going to be covered so 
he was extremely passionate about it. He had gone through it himself and was so kind to bring me into the fold and now a bunch of other people as well. And so when my mentor was diagnosed, um, I got very knowledgeable about presumptive laws and about cancer and mm. and all the stuff. And when we got him covered, I will say that's probably the best moment wow. of my career. Yeah, yeah. What about your least? So I will tell you, and any cop or firefighter will tell you, is never ask them what the worst call is that they went on. Okay. Because they have to relive it. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, and it's traumatic. I'll yeah. tell you because I've worked through mine. I've been through a lot of therapy. But you know, but let me pause you yeah. there. That's so good for us to know and the mm -hmm. audience to know. Yeah. That's really good to know because I don't think a lot of them would know. That might be something you, you know, you yeah. sit down and. You, it's a little triggering. Yeah. Right? Because what's the thing you ask a cop the first time you meet him? Yeah. Ever shoot someone? Well, I don't ask that, but okay. Right. But people say that. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. Often. For sure. Right? Oh, ever yeah. shoot someone? Like, like yeah. it's a badge of honor. No officer goes to work mm -hmm. and thinks, hope I get to shoot, use my yeah. gun. That's the last thing yeah. they want to do. And if they do, they'll have to work through that the rest of their life. That's forever. what you're saying. That's yeah. what you're. You deal yeah, with this yeah. forever. Any first responder. This is, this is why, mm -hmm. Ashley, that, that I and our team care so much about first responders. Yeah. And we've had a number of you on our podcast uh, you you all are really on the front lines. Mm -hmm. And because you're on the front lines, you will have to deal with stuff the rest of your life. Forever. Yeah. The rest of your life. So mm -hmm. so again, for our audience to yeah. hear that, I think that's so good what you said. Don't you don't want to ask a first responder what's no. the worst call you've ever been on. No, because that's what you're saying. You're gonna right. I'm gonna recount it to you. I have to feel all the things. Mm -hmm. If I haven't dealt with it mm -hmm. yet, which mm -hmm. I thankfully have, but let's say I hadn't. Now yep. that could really send someone into a tailspin, For right? Sure. And the things that we see, people shouldn't know about. Yeah. And that's why we do our job, right? The, a normal person on the street should never see or feel or deal with the things that we've seen. Yep. Um, and in 22 plus years, I've seen a lot, but not everything. Because every time you're like, oh, I've seen it all, something and then another worse call comes in. happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for me, the worst moment was a father that had shot his two children while they were sleeping in their beds. Mm -hmm. And he recorded himself doing it mm -hmm. and then shot himself, recorded it and left it for his wife to find. Um, and I, when we got there, policy had changed after this call. But when we got there, um, PD was like, one of you goes in to call all of them. We just need you to go in and, and pronounce them. But we can't have the footprints of multiple people and we don't want the traffic because we don't, scene. it's a crime yeah. scene. Um, so I went in by myself. And so I, it was, it was tough. And we ended up having to stay forever because they couldn't have someone come take photographs of my boots. The, they needed the pictures of the bottom of my boots for the forensic stuff. So we just remained on scene for a really, really long time. And honestly, that call didn't hit me right away. It was like 10 years later. Isn't that what is true of trauma often, right? Like that's what's so surprising and exhausting yep. about it, whether it's someone in the military, first responders, yep. that a lot of times that they, it, it hits them in a surprising way mm -hmm. and it's a surprising time. So years yeah. really, 10 years later, did mm -hmm. you, you probably, when that hit you, you were wondering what's going on. A hundred percent. In fact, I was like, I don't get what's happening right now. Yeah. Um, and I went to our peer support team. One of my good friends was part of it. And I was like, hey, I think I messed up. Mm -hmm. And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, I, I can't stop thinking about this call. And he's like, this is how it goes, right? But that and was a decade later. A decade. Uh, yeah. 
And I will tell you, people were so kind to me. The day after that call, I got more phone calls from people on my department like, hey, are you okay? That was really rough. I'm like, I'm fine. And you weren't you know, lying to him. I wasn't. And it's funny, we were talking about your son earlier who's just got like what you feel like is just this natural empathy. Mm -hmm. My mom tells me I'm not empathetic at all because I won't, she'll tell me some story or she'll be experiencing something and I'm like, okay. Um, and I think part of that is the job. Like you have to desensitize. If I felt every call that we went on or all the emotions of the family surrounded by them, I wouldn't last a month. There is no way. Absolutely. That's why anybody that's hung around a group of first responders usually leaves shocked going, <laughs> I can't believe the stuff they were laughing at. We so, have to. You do. We you do. have to. And the, it, it seems like really dark humor, but you're it you're is. right. It can. It is dark humor. You're right. This doesn't just it seem is. like it. It is. Yeah. I went, my wife and I went, I was a pastor for some years and we went to a call where a, a woman was in the hospital and all of her kids were... Um, well, they were all in the fire department, actually. Okay. So I was going to say first responders, yeah. but I just realized none of them were PD. They were all fire sure. department. And we stood outside of the emergency room. Most of the time, when as a pastor, when you go to these things, you're hugging people and crying with them and yeah. praying with them. They were laughing. We were all laughing so hard we had tears oh rolling down God. our eyes. And I got in the car and almost felt guilty for the stuff they were yeah. laughing about. But it made me realize, again, that is... It's coping. Yeah. As first responders, you really have to. And again, it's just a shout out to you all that you do see things and deal with things that society doesn't have to because you're dealing with them. And shouldn't have yeah. to. Yeah. How, but it does take a toll for sure. Yeah. 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 How did you walk through that then 10 years later? Um, I got hooked up with an exceptional therapist. She was fantastic. And I did some EMDR, which truth be told, uh, wasn't the best for me um, after a handful of sessions where we were doing it. I was like, I can't be back in, like, it's not going away for me. A lot of people, it, they're able to kind of just move that out of the front of the Rolodex and, and not continue to feel it. That didn't work for me. Uh, more talk therapy. Go figure. Anyone that knows me talking, <laughs> talking is my thing. Talking helps you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but um, I was just able to kind of process it and work through it. And yeah. Um, better. Yeah. Did you see in your 22, 23 years that you were in the department, did you see uh, a change happening where they were getting better at helping yes. you all walk through that? Oh, for sure. It, oh, yeah. yeah. You didn't really talk about it early on in my career. The first um, dead person that I saw was a 16-year-old in a car accident, and they had been racing, and the car flipped and hit a tree, and we walked up. Again, my first dead person, it, I was fine, but my engineer was not fine. He had a 16-year-old daughter that looked exactly like her. And when we walked up, I think he thought it was her. Um, and I don't recall a whole lot of support other than internal, right, in the mm -hmm. crew. But I, the chaplain didn't come down. There was no peer support team. No one was sending him to a therapist. Like, mm -hmm. there was a lot less happening than, if anything, Whereas now the resources are much more rich and departments are doing so many things that are proactive as opposed to just reactive. And, mm -hmm. and I think we're just, we're talking about it. We're making it okay. You could sit down at a dinner table at any fire station and say, Hey, I'm, I'm having a hard time. And everyone would shut up and listen and be there for you and do everything they could to help find you resources. 
Whereas it wasn't that way. No, 15 years ago, even I think they'd be like, suck it up, buttercup. Yeah. You're all right. Isn't it good that that's, I think that's happening in with first responders. Mm -hmm. I think it's happening in the military as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably emergency room workers, all these people have to see things that again, we weren't as humans uh, supposed to have to cope with or Mm -hmm. deal with. Part of that probably comes from, we had someone on this podcast a few months ago. Um, she's brilliant. She was my sister. <laughs> she's brilliant, but she was. She made the point that uh, the brain is one of the less, least research organs in the entire body until about 10, 15, 20 years ago. We started doing a lot more research and learning a lot about what trauma does then yeah. to the brain. And so again, all human beings at some point deal with trauma. Right? Sure. You can't grow up in this sure. world and not see some. But again, as a first responder, you're seeing it, you know, for every one thing that we are maybe dealing with, you guys are maybe dealing with hundreds or hundreds. Yeah. yeah or yeah, thousands, yeah. depending on where you work and how many calls you're running. Yeah. I also think the resiliency training, right, that proactive stuff. So so teaching us how to do this early in our career, coping mechanisms, things to do to separate from it, having more balance, um, all of the things, recognizing the signs and symptoms. Uh, there's a lot of things that are happening now that if I had said to someone, I need a mental health day, they'd be like, okay, yeah. right now. It was almost a sign of weakness, Oh, it right? absolutely was a sign of weakness. You know, if I had an emotion after a call, it was like, uh, oh, yeah. this girl is having an emotion, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. That was not okay. And now it's absolutely okay. It's encouraged. It's seen, it, now it's seen as it, your It's human. a strength. Well, and it's a strength to say, hey, I need help. Yeah. It's a strength because yeah. that's really hard to do in a culture that we have said, don't say I need help. Yeah. So certainly it's a sign of of strength to say to another guy that you look up to or respect or think has it all together. Like, hey, I'm kind of falling apart. The Commandant of the Marine Corps always puts out a reading list every year. And I have two kids in the Marines and I love reading. So I mm-hmm. always be like, send me the list because yes. you guys aren't going to read the books. I'll read them and tell you about them. <laughs> yes. And so one of them was a book called On Killing. And I mm-hmm. can't remember who the author was, but his whole thing was he, he had done research. He was a sociologist and done a lot of research and talked specifically about the military. But it, it pertains to what you and yeah, I are talking same. about right now. Yeah where we started getting better and better at training people how to go kill others. Like for instance, they changed from doing the little round wow. targets, realizing that when you go out in a field, you're not shooting at a round target, you're shooting at a human. So now they, they practice on silhouettes, same oh, thing with PD. Yeah. And so we, we were training people how to kill better, but then they're coming home and we, we didn't know how to deal with them. Right. And so that's what's I think exciting about the day that we're living in is we have come a long ways. We probably have a long ways to go, but helping first responders, military dealing with it, but it it affects all of us. Because again, I've seen some really traumatic things that I happen to deal with and walk Mm -hmm. through. So I I think it's good that we're learning that. I think, like you just said, it's not independent to people that respond on these Mm -hmm. things because they're the families that are experiencing them, right? They're having so much trauma um you were talking about some of the research there was a an article that was talking about there's actually a physical change in your brain you can see the change Mm -hmm. when people are starting to experience like ptsd and and excessive mental stress and it's like okay well why don't we do some scans right why don't we why don't we look at this because maybe we could head it off before it becomes a real problem maybe there are some therapies we could be doing um that that could stop us before we get to a point where we're taking our own lives which is happening really really often oh, it's terrible it's it's, it's terrible and a lot of that again is um just something that p- 
people who have dealt with this just start living with, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, we have to. It's our responsibility. Yeah. So what you and I, before we turn on these mics, we were talking about yeah. hating injustices. Ugh. I would look at this and go, this is an injustice yeah. to uh, take our, our tax dollars and pay people to deal with these things so that we don't have to deal with them. It's right. not really so that we don't have to, no, but, but you all have for. volunteers and said, we're going to, we're going to take this job on, but if we're going to do that, we have to really help on the back end to take care of Absolutely. the stuff that you're going to have to walk through. Do you think you're better at identifying that? Have you gotten better at identifying like, okay, I can tell that I'm not healthy right now or I'm in a not healthy situation. Yes, definitely. Did yeah. Do I always fix it right away? No, I don't think yeah. I, but I can see where I'm like, Ooh, my mindset is not good. What am I what am I going to do? I'll make a plan. Like, okay, well, next weekend I'm going to head out and go for a hike and just spend some time reflecting or clearing my head or stepping away. Um, yes, I try to be better about that. I think depends on where you are in life and if you have the ability and the support system to do that. I'm, I have a pretty free, open life at this point. So, yeah. you know, I'm not tied to toddlers at home and I don't have stresses of relationships. The, yeah. the things that most people have to deal with and they can't just say, hey, I'm going to go uh, to the mountains for the day. Right. So yeah. having those resources available to people that can't do those things and and need needs yeah. some more structured like, hey, I'm going to go see my therapist for an hour and a half once a week. Right. Yep. But yeah, I think so. I think through a lot of training and self-reflection, too. Yeah. So your your life story, you've definitely come through some disappointments, some discouragement. You've overcome some hurdles. Yeah. What would you what would you recommend to me and our audience? And because we, we've face them too different right. than yours everyone does but everyone does if you live in this world <laughs> and the more decades you live the more you're gonna have and i've just told someone recently i said you know i'm in just some of my favorite days of my whole life yeah. like i know i mean it's almost like a mountaintop if i live long enough i know there's going to be another valley i've lived sure. long enough to know that right there's going to be so what what would you recommend in what you've learned through your oh journey okay to help us Figure out how to overcome those things. Because you you overcame some really disappointments in the 18th. By the way, we have to pause and say this. Yeah. You were told you'd probably never have a kid. Yes, and I have an 18-year-old boy because never give up. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I honestly believe um, in order to get through all the stuff that life's going to throw at you, it's about believing in yourself. And, and you have to invest in yourself regardless of what other people will say because if you believe the hate <laughs> – you will succumb to that. You, you just have to build that confidence within yourself. And I say that as if it's so easy. I I feel like I was born with just oodles of confidence. And I'll say that's a tribute to my parents because they were like, you can be anything you want to be except a firefighter, as yep. my dad said. No, <laughs> yeah. um, but they were so encouraging. Yeah. And, yeah. and I have always had confidence. Probably some people will say too much confidence, but... Um, I just know that I can do anything and I can get through anything. Um, and when I don't believe that, I lean on the people that I trust the most to yeah. tell me that I can. Well, so how do you deal with critics in your life? Because you yeah. actually are doing some stuff now that I'm going to let you share a little sure. bit here too, where you're probably dealing with critics more than you ever have. Absolutely. Am I right in saying that? Yes. Okay. So, so how do you deal with that? I just try to really block out the hate, right? So I'm not going to say that every comment that i've that has been negative has i've just let roll off my back but i gave advice years ago to actually a couple ladies that i worked with in my former department um 
when they were just letting everything get to them, right? And oh, they just so frustrated. And I was like, be a duck, yeah. right? Be a duck. That means just let it all yeah. slide. Let that slide off your back because if you let it penetrate, it only hurts you and they win. So I don't want the haters to win. I don't want that. The problem for me is that injustice thing that we talked about before mm -hmm. is I feel like I want to explain to them why they're, you know, why things are the way they are or whatever it is that they're saying. Um, I had a comment on a post recently that was so appalling. It was, I, I really was like, how do I just go past this? How do I just let that live? Um, so I just have to reconcile it, I guess, within myself to know again that I have confidence in did who you I move am. Past it? I think so. Did you did you respond? I did. Okay. Yeah. And do you feel good about your response? I do. Okay. <laughs> well, I was asking because I think that's that that's where there's no um roadmap that's gonna work mm -hmm. for everybody or every situation. Cause I recently had something like like that to a comment and okay. I wrote a really long explanation mm -hmm. and then I paused, I didn't I didn't hit send mm -hmm. and I waited. And then I came back and I just wait because sometimes the best thing to do is wait 24 hours and see where you're at. I have and then that I rule. Deleted the whole thing. Yeah. And yeah. I look back on it and I go, you know, it was probably it was just a waste of my energy. And well, and who was it on. serving, me or him? Yeah. Or them? Yeah. Her, whomever. Yep. Right. So, is it going to move the needle for them? Is it going to change their mind, or are they just getting what they want, which is to get under your skin? Right. We were talking about that stirring the pot person before. Mm -hmm. Are they just trying to get under your skin and stir the pot? Or are they genuinely are there trying people to like that on social media? No. <laughs> yeah. Keyboard they, warriors. I think this are, yeah, their their sole job they think in life is to just, you know, troll and I'm try to you. Yeah. But that's where I again I think for our audience it's good to know what like you we were both talking about a situation we had recently mm -hmm. and the way you dealt with it and you feel like you dealt with it right is you did reply and make a comment. Sometimes you need to say what needs to be said to move on. Yeah, I Sometimes think Sometimes so. you need to not say anything and move on. And There's not a roadmap, both. is no. there? Uh, no, and I think it's case by case. And I completely subscribe to your idea of the 24-hour rule. I won't do it impatiently. Often I will send it to a friend like, this was the comment, this is what I'm thinking of saying back. And I've had friends that are like, just leave it. Yeah. Don't. Don't do it. Or they're like, I would have said a hundred worse things, right? Yeah. Um, Add these words in there. Mm -hmm. But these that's another great point. That's a great point, though. You're also saying wait 24 hours and then sometimes send it out to some people. And and we're not, you know, again, for our audience, we may not just be talking about social media. Right. Maybe, you know, At an work, aunt called up family. and said something to you and they, they love to stir the pot mm -hmm. and just got you. Wait 24 hours. Go get some advice on what to say. Absolutely. Yeah. And get advice from someone that maybe doesn't always agree with you, right? You don't want just your cheerleader to chamber. cheer you on. Yeah. Yeah. You want someone that might oppose the way you think or come at it in a different way. Yeah. What you're asking is uncomfortable though. Yeah. It is. I, I mean, usually you have a response planned. And, <laughs> and this is why I, I, I want to make sure and make this point because I think it's really wise what you're saying. You have a point that you want to make, and then you have your little echo chamber. You know the five people oh, yeah. that are going to agree with you. Oh, yeah. So you go ask them, and then you convince yourself 24 hours later, hey, I got feedback, but you you just confirmed what yeah. you already knew you wanted to hear. Yeah. So and that's you're, what you're suggesting is really wise, Ashley. Thank you. Yes. I mean, sometimes I have my yeah, moments. Wisdom. But yes. uh, that comes with a lot of age and a lot of mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. I've done... 
I have made so, so many mistakes, but and I've we'll make learned a lot more if we live longer. I've been good yeah. because yeah. I've learned and, and yeah. grown from them. And the mistakes are where I've grown the most and where I've had the most reflection and where I've changed the most. Yeah. Um, believe it or not, in my early years, I was a know-it-all. Yeah. I know it's shocking. Um, and I worked really, really hard to be so much more open to what other people had to say and to teach me. And it has served me so well. So how did you having learn, those How people. did you learn that? Because that's another great point. I, I think that not, it's not, it doesn't have anything to do with age. Some of us just being humans. We just tend not to want to um, be uncomfortable and mm -hmm. be told that we're wrong on something. How, um, how did you work through? Work in the firehouse with a lot of guys that are going to tell you you're wrong all the time. <laughs> I I had a kind of the nature of the job education through the job for sure. Okay. And being young and you know, I was 23 when I got hired and I didn't know anything about the fire service, but I felt like I had to go and improve myself. And that was absolutely the wrong thing to do. You, you shouldn't have to go in and, and be actively trying to prove yourself. You should just go in and do your job and do it well. Mm. And that proves mm. yourself tenfold because the person making the most noise about I'm doing my job and I'm doing a great job, right? We're not endeared to those people. Right. Um, and so I think being told enough, like you're wrong. I want you to hear this. You are wrong. Mm. Stop fighting you're wrong. And it was like, there was a lot of power in, in saying I'm wrong yeah. and you're right. And I'm sorry. I, I'm a person of faith. And so, uh, I find it interesting that God says that no one is considered great that without humility. And that's what you're mm -hmm. describing. You're really not going to be a good leader. You're really not going to grow as a human being unless you come to the point and it's uncomfortable. It really sure. is. I admit it. That, sure. It's really tough to have someone say you're wrong and then have to hear it numerous times oh, yeah. and then humble yourself enough to say you're right. Yeah. And it, that was not fast. It took a long time for me to get to that. And I think maybe in the last five years, six years, seven years, it's yeah. really sunk in. Yeah. That's also the time at which I became very public in my roles in, in the fire department. So I was much more, I was scrutinized in a, in a much more consistent uh, time frame, mm -hmm. and I really had to do a lot of reflecting. Yeah. yeah. And you really have. So tell us how that is. So you have moved really, you're in a, in a, in a really public spotlight now in right. what you do. So, so uh, public information officer yeah. is the position. So um, public information officers are really in every organization across the country, really across the world. So you think about PR in the sense, but it's not just really PR. It's you're the voice, the face of your organization. So when you have to give information to the media, it's typically your public information officer that's going to go out there and do that. And a lot of times it's probably in the worst moment. Like there's a, the Almost reason always. that you're out there in front right. of a microphone is something really bad happened Typically, or wrong happened, right? right? Yeah. Um, a lot of drownings, right, over the years and um, having to have composure during that time when a reporter's like, are you pressing charges against these parents? It's like, is yeah. that what we're worried about? Yeah. We're worried about charges. Yeah. I think I'm worried about this child surviving. That's yep. where I'm at. Yeah. And let's talk about this with parents so that this doesn't happen anymore. And what yeah. can you do to make sure your child isn't in this situation, right? So um, having to be very, yes, public in um, highly emotional moments, absolutely. There are some good ones. We get mm -hmm. to give awards and we get to, you know, emcee things and graduations and family nights and all of the 
really awesome moments, but yeah. absolutely you're in, in the spotlight for some tough, some tough conversations. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how would people get a hold of you? So I have a company, Blue Helmet Media, Blue No E. Um, and we're on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. And there's, you know, you can DM me there. And there's so say, information. say that again for someone that's driving Blue. and is trying to pull over right now yes. to write this down. Yes. So timestamp your podcast. So you can come back to it. No. Okay. Um, it's Blue Helmet, B-L-U Helmet media okay um i also have a website so you can look look me up there and there's some and why swag did you start on that? there and stuff so that's a great question i taught at a conference um fire chiefs conference and the response there was overwhelming and the reason i was doing it was just to educate people in the fire service as to why social media is so important for fire departments and and why if you don't have one, you need to have social media. And that's for so many reasons. But really, when it comes down to it, the basis is if I, Joe Blow, live in your city, right? And some horrible disaster happens, I need to know that that's happening, right? I need to know, let's say um, chlorine gas is in the air and I need to shelter in place, mm -hmm. right? That's a pretty important message, would mm -hmm. you agree? Oh yeah. If I have no mechanism, me fire department have no mechanism to reach the people that need that information, that's dangerous. And it's negligent actually for a fire department for a, or a department that's serving the public. So we need to have those platforms and abilities to get directly to our people when we need them. Well, that's great. If you've got one and you have five followers, well, those five people are going to yeah. get that message. You have to work to grow that following to get those people to listen so that when that moment happens, they're already following you. You're already a trusted source of information. You laugh with your fire department. You cry with your fire department. You are engaged with them. You are educated by them, right? That's our responsibility. So when we all got hired, we said we want to help people. And not in one way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. Everybody mm -hmm. that gets in the fire service says that. This is just a new way to do that. We just have never recognized it that way. You know, it's been made fun of forever and, oh, you want me to go do a TikTok? It's like, yeah, I want you to go do a TikTok. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it humanizes us. Why? Because it lets people in on the struggles that we're actually feeling. And it gives them a little inside baseball. It also allows them to understand who we are and why we are, where that dark humor comes from, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I just feel like it is our responsibility as fire departments to have these things. Long story short, I taught at this conference and I recognized I know the power of social media. I've been doing it for a few years. I have seen tangible results from it. I know we have saved lives because of posts that we have put up, literally saved lives. I had a guy tell me I was going to kill myself and I saw this and it put words to what I was feeling that I couldn't explain to anybody and I didn't kill myself. Man, that one story right there, right? That one life. Honestly. That, that one, yeah. I mean, I get chills every yeah. time I tell that story, but I mean, this is a DM on social media, right? So I knew how important it was. I just wanted other people to know. And when I recognized that there just wasn't a mechanism to help people get there, 
small departments that think I can't do it. I don't have any funding. I'm like, yes, you can. Yes, you can. So I've developed classes and programs and consultations and ways to get them started. And um, through the process, found out that I really love doing like logos. I just love the creativity of all of it. At first, I thought I was going to create posts for people and and just do their creative. And I realized that's actually not what I want to do at all. I just want to teach them how to do it. Yeah. I want to support them in the effort and I want yeah. to get them where they need to go. I like how you said that. It's another mechanism. Mm-hmm. It's a newer one. It's not newer for the for the average public person, but in a lot of fields, it would be, I would, I would suspect police departments, fire departments, mm-hmm. a lot of industries may go, what does social media have to do with us? Absolutely. And, and I mean, marketing, social media marketing, I don't even think that was a thing before TikTok really took it off. Facebook's always had some, but TikTok brought it to light in 2020, you know, um, yeah. the pandemic. I mean, gosh, they grew 140% in viewership on wow. there. And that is so much about commerce yeah. and yeah. influencer. Yeah. Right. So we always finish these with two truths and a lie. Yes. And um, it's ironic because we call this no gray area. So I'm going to ask <laughs> you to lie. So we've been sitting down here. We've mm-hmm. been visiting. I've been visiting you with you for over an hour. So yeah. I've gotten to know you some. See if you can stump me. See okay. if you can stump the audience. All right. I'm going to try see. to guess your lie. Two truths and a lie. Here we go. So I have been to both Japan and London to perform by the time I was 14. I am fluent in sign language. And I have sang the national anthem at the Coyotes game twice. Ooh, those are good ones. Um, first one's true. Okay. Is yeah. it? Yes. Okay. All right. So now I got a 50-50 chance. There you go. And okay, I'm going to go with the, um, because you performed, I'm going to assume you have a voice and you sang. That's true. True. I got it then. You did. So I used to be fluent in sign language in college, but I'm no longer fluent. Okay, that that's probably something like any language you have to keep up on. Yeah. Did you take sign language in four college? Four years. Four at years ASU. of it. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that that's considered a foreign language. Now. Yes. They had to fight for that. Oh, I yes. Yep. So I could not wrap my crazy brain around French or Spanish. It just was not working for me. I am so much a visual learner, and when I realized that I could take sign language, I was so relieved because. The other languages weren't going to happen for me. I wish you would have been there to tell me that when I was in <laughs> high school, which you were, weren't you weren't around no. then. You're you're younger than yeah. me, but I, I'm the same way. I've always struggled. I'm trying to learn because I'm doing a lot of traveling to Brazil right now, so I'm oh. trying to learn Portuguese. Oh, no. I'm terrible with learning languages. Yeah. Always having it, and I'm visual. Like mm-hmm. I have to write down a word and yes. see it on a piece of paper. Same. But that's why. So sign language, mm-hmm. I can imagine that was a lot easier. It was. I mean, it wasn't but, easy. Yeah but so much easier. And I found like I could feel successful there. Whereas those other languages, I was going to maybe pass with a C and that wasn't going to work out very well. So really quick before sure. we go, I, you were in London? Yes. And Japan. By the time you were 14. Yes. So uh, Japan when I was 12. So that playhouse that I told you about, yeah. we did traveling shows. We went to Japan for a couple of weeks and we lived with families in Japan. So my first family spoke no English. That was a story in and of itself. But in the yeah. sense you struggle learning languages, you were you were doing sign language to them and they Oh were, my no, gosh. You I couldn't find yeah. the bathroom in this house. That's how bad it was. Yeah. yeah, it was terrible. Needless to say, 
yeah, so Japan when I was 12 and then 14, we went to London and wow. got to perform in just the best times of my life. And then you sang twice the national anthem at the Coyotes game? Yes. And let me tell you, that is the most nervous I've ever been in my life. Every time someone steps up to that mic to sing, because that's not an easy song to sing either. Oh. If, if someone doesn't have any music background and they don't know, that's, oh that is a difficult song to sing. Yes. So the first time I'm walking out, it's like first responder night or something. And I'm walking out with a soldier from Luke Air Force Base. And I literally turned to him and I'm like, how does it start? He goes, what? I'm like, how does it start? How does it start? <laughs> you just He's like, you're freaking out. I go, dude, I am totally freaking out right now. How does it start? And he was yeah. like, oh, say, can you see? I was like... Yes. You got it. Okay, thank you. And yeah. then I was fine. But you could hear it in my voice, that first line. Just the nerves were horrible. Yeah. And then I did it again. How dumb am I? Was it, was it easier the second time? Mm, I suppose. But they made me sing in a mask because it was during COVID. And that was just horrific. Oh, okay. Yeah. It didn't work out well. Yeah. I didn't sound very good. Wow. <laughs> well, Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks thank you for, for what me. you've done. Thank you for, I mean, your, your whole life has been... <laughs> Uh, life in your career has been one of serving uh, yeah. our communities. And so we really, really appreciate it. Thank appreciate what you're doing now. And we will encourage the, uh, and we'll have it in our comments um, too, to connect with you on Blue Media. Blue Helmet, Blue Helmet. Media. Yes. Blue Helmet Media yeah. with no E. No E. All right. Thanks, Thanks, Ashley. What an inspirational conversation that was with Ashley. Be sure to follow her Blue Helmet Media group on all social media platforms. And as always, thumbs up this video. Leave a comment down below or email us at info at nograyareas.com. Subscribe if you haven't already to hear more fantastic interviews in the future. We'll see you next time. <laughs>